Hello again and welcome to another episode of Rethinking Rehab with Dr. Shane Smith. I'm a licensed physical therapist practicing out of Naples, Florida. I have owned my own physical therapy practice for the last six years, Naples Premier Physical Therapy. And we focus on making sure everybody that comes to see us is living a happier, healthier life and feels better with normal movement activities. I wanted to do a research rundown today on some interesting stuff I was reading regarding abdominal crunching. So to crunch or not to crunch, that's the question. Um, a lot of people view this exercise as flexing your spine forward to improve abdominal strength. A lot of people out there may know that there is correlation factors between core strength and back pain issues. And I thought it'd be an interesting topic to talk a little bit about some of the stuff out there research-wise. Um, what is the best back strengthening routines? What are things to watch out for if you have pathology, past history of injury, and so forth? So, you know, a lot of people think about core exercises as their stomach, which totally fair core is part of your stomach. I view core as pelvis muscles as well as abdominal muscles. But for the sake of this discussion, we're going to look at core just solely as abdominal musculature. And a common exercise a lot of people like to do when they think about strengthening their stomach is a basic crunch exercise. So for those that may not know, laying down on your back with your knees bent, feet flat on the floor, hands behind your neck, and lifting your shoulder blades off the ground, flexing forward. This will activate your tummy muscles and gives people the impression that they're helping strengthen their core as well as helping to stabilize and secure their back. Um, it's an exercise that most patients, when I talk to about what do you do for your core, will either bring up crunches or they'll bring up planks. Those are the two most common ones I hear people bring up. And, you know, some of the interesting things out there in research regarding crunches, whether we should do them or not do them, um, was kind of interesting. So, um, the number one factor when it comes to crunch or not to crunch is your family history. So if you have genetic traits of your parents, your grandparents, or other family members with a lot of disc herniation, a lot of disc bulge, lumbar, back problems, you very much may want to look at avoiding crunches. So that was the number one factor in research I came up with of why you would not want to do crunching flexion-based exercises for your core. Because if you have a family history or, you know, prior problems yourself with disc injuries or disc bulge or stenosis problems, flexion repetitively is not going to be a good option for you. That was the group that found this movement exercise to be most problematic for them. So if you've got disc bulge history, disc herniation history, you want to limit, not stop altogether, but at least limit the number of flexion exercises that you do for your core. Um, the number that was come to mind most when I was reading through research on repetition load is uh, 60 repetitions max. So we're talking four sets of 15 flexion-based reps would be what you kind of want to max it out with, as well as you need to also give yourself a couple days of rest after these flexion-based exercises. So when we kind of think about the disc in your low back, that is a um, support structure. It gives cushioning to loads that are felt when we walk, stand, move. Uh, those forces are called ground reaction forces. 
So every time your body takes a step, jumps, moves, you touch the ground. And the weight of your body touching the ground has an equal but opposite force reaction, which is called a ground force reaction, up through your body. And that's the force that can be problematic over time. That's what causes a lot of people with hip issues or knee arthritis issues to kind of hurt with prolonged walking standing activities is some of their cushioning agents are not quite there anymore. Well, those cushioning agents in our spine are mainly made up of our discs. Our discs do not have good blood supply, kind of like ligaments in our knees. They don't have good blood supply and thus injuries to them take a long time to heal. Same thing goes with microtrauma. So when you think about flexion-based exercises, other activities that are challenging your spine, it's going to need a little time to recover. And because it doesn't have a lot of good blood supply to the disc, that's why those uh, tissues take a little bit more time to heal up than something else like a muscle would. So if you are genetically predisposed to disc problems or back-related issues, you do want to limit your flexion-based exercises. Now, the concept of limitation of flexion for everybody came up through certain research done in vitro and labs. So what they did is they took models, porcelain models, and they repetitively flexed them, flexed them, flexed them over and over and over again until they actually broke. And what was actually found in research is that the total number of flexion bending cycles that these porcelain models could handle before they broke was 4,400 to 86,400 movements with at least 1,500 newtons of force. Now, if you went and did a crunch, you're going to be close to that number. It may even be up to 2,000 newtons of force of compression load on your spine when you flex. The problem with these studies done with models is they don't have any other structure supporting them. They don't have ligaments there that are giving support. They don't have muscular tissue that's giving support. And all of those supporting structures help limit these kind of pathological problems from occurring more rapidly. So to look at a model without actual anatomical structures that we have doesn't really paint the right picture of what a person would deal with with repetitive flexion. Now what I can tell you is that motion is lotion for your spine. Motion is lotion for other joints in your body. These joints in your spine, facet joints and other things that allow for movement of your spine are synovial joints. They have synovial fluid in them and allow for liquid to move around in your joints. And that liquid is kind of something that helps prevent breakdown in your joints. So the better bathing of your joint surfaces in this liquid prevents arthritic breakdowns from occurring as fast. So I think something to look at is general spinal motion in all directions should be something we work on. Now when it comes to loading and exercising, to be safe, if you're concerned, if you're in that category I just mentioned where I've had two disc herniations or a disc bulge in my back and it was terrible pain and I never want to go back there again or you know my mom and dad both have bad backs and I haven't injured myself but every so often I get pain in my back. If you're in that kind of category, look at a lot more of like a plank isometric non-movement based exercise for back strength. The muscles in our back are intended to be activated at all times. So we have muscles that allow for movement and we have muscles that allow for stabilization. Virtually all of the spinal muscles we want strong are stabilizing muscles and thus they need to be active for longer durations of time. So when you look at a plank, a side plank, those kind of movements where you're actually statically holding a position 
is better overall for back strength as well as limiting potential risk of re-injury or future injury to disc structures. However, active movements less than 60 in flexion or in extension, side bending, rotation, those all should be incorporated because if you don't move a certain way, it gets very hard to move that way. If you haven't stretched your hamstrings out in a long time and you sit all day at work, it's going to be very hard to get a decent straight leg raise because your muscles are tight. Your body adapts to what you put it through. So if you don't move in different planes of motion, how do you expect your body to be able to do that? Or how do you expect your body not to break down with a certain movement if that's all you're doing repetitively? So I think it's really important to keep that in mind when you're thinking about exercises for my back and movements for my back is that we want to keep things as open to all planes of motion as possible so that we can have the best movement in our joints to allow for everything to feel as good as we can. You know, when you look at Wolf and David's law with deformation or changes in cellular tissue, it's met by forces and things applied to it. So if something never moves a certain way, how do you expect it to be able to at some point in time? You know, I tell some of my patients that want to get back to different sport activities, are you doing precursor exercises to strengthen certain specific movements for the sport that build to the actual full sport? And many of them don't. Um, the most common one I could tell you would be related to golfing patients that all they do is play golf three times a week and they never actually practice, they never actually stretch, and they never, never actually do core exercises and they end up hurting their back on a bad shot. You know, it's, what do you expect? You're not trained properly to be able to do that. Another concern people have is related to lifting tasks and lifting things. Will that hurt my back? This, that, and the other. It's all based on form. So once again, if you don't ever bend and things, you know, move in different directions and you go to lift something, you're not used to doing that movement. Yeah, it could hurt you because it's outside your norm of what your body's used to. Bending reaching tasks in research did not increase herniation. It was more background of their actual health and other factors that were more effect there. Also a fact that I came up with risk of lumbar disc herniation before the age of 21 is approximately five times greater in those who have family history. Furthermore, even greater if they are inactive physically. So if you have family history plus you're sedentary, your risk just jumped fivefold in terms of a future back issue. So don't be afraid to move. Don't be afraid to do activities. Just do them in a smart way and do them, uh, you know, controlled. Exercise tempo is another factor that's important to look at other than just the quantity of exercises that you do. So if your rep tempo is slower, you will not recruit as much muscle tissue in that area. So trying to keep things at a decent pace with a lower load actually has shown in research to get more muscle activation as well. I like to look at a lot of flexion-based starting positions moving into extension. So if you think about like a bent over row, um, if you think about trunk extension over a bolster, different things that allow you to move from a flex position to a neutral position 
is also really great to incorporate in terms of a movement-based activity to counterbalance just the crunches and flexion. Um, because if you can balance what you do resisted moving forward and backwards as well as rotating, you're going to allow for the best overall strength of your core and body. That's all I've got today. I hope this information is helpful when you're in the gym thinking about how many reps uh, of crunches should I do, how many planks should I do, are these exercises right for me. Stay healthy, everybody. Thanks again. Take care.